uh, thank you again for being here this morning and uh, for the opportunity just to share with you. I wanted to start this morning by um, giving you a bit of my testimony of where God has brought me. And also we're going to dive into some tough passages that I, that I believe God has really worked on my life over the past couple of years to uh, getting to getting me to where I am in my life now, trying to serve what the Bible calls the least of these. And so before we continue, let's just pray and ask God to be in this place with us this morning. Father God, we love you so much. And we thank you for this opportunity this morning to worship you, to open up your word, to be challenged by what you say through scripture. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place this morning. In your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. I'm going on uh, six years of of writing and performing um, music around the country, and I grew up in a home in Maryland where my dad was a piano teacher and my mom was a special education teacher, and she just retired after 40 years of that. And um, I have two brothers, and they tour in the band called uh, Willet. It's just our last name, and we tour around about 250 dates each year to different churches and cities across America. And when we were growing up uh, in our home in Maryland, I remember because our dad was a piano teacher that when one of us would turn seven years old, that meant that our birthday gift that year would be piano books. And with the piano books came piano lessons, and so we would sit down and we would have to learn technique and theory about piano. And he taught us piano because piano allows you to go on to learn any other instrument that you like because of the theory behind it. And so for years and years, we took piano lessons, and uh, then we went on to learn other instruments like guitar, bass, and drums. As we got a little bit older, my dad felt a call to go into full-time ministry, and he became a pastor of a church called Quest Community Church in Westminster, Maryland, where we attend now. And at the same time that our dad was being called into full-time ministry, we felt a calling on our lives as brothers to write a collection of songs and go on the road and play these songs to uh, an audience that might not ever come into church. So we wrote our first Christian rock record, and we got a van and a trailer, and we took off across America going church to church, city to city. And I remember in that first year, we were definitely going out to share the gospel of Jesus, but we were also motivated by what the world had to offer through the music industry. And you see, even the Christian music industry has many things like record deals and radio singles and, and large concerts with big crowds. And all of those things of the world can be very enticing to an artist that is writing songs and wants people to appreciate the songs they're writing. And so looking back, I can honestly say that I think that we were motivated by the success that the world had to offer. So we toured for a full year, and we were offered record deals, and we had songs on the radio, and we had a team of management and booking agent and accounting, and, and we had this whole team behind what we were doing. And I remember year number two came up, and we were getting ready for another big year. We were about to sign a record deal. We had several on the table, and uh, we were excited to see what God was going to do through our music. We started year number two. It was 2007. And we were invited to go to Ethiopia, Africa to start the year. And we thought, wow, this is a cool way to start this busy year. And so we got on a plane and we flew over to Africa. I remember when we landed in Ethiopia, one of the first things that we saw is we began to walk down the streets. 
And as we would walk down the streets, we would pass by children that were sitting on this sidewalk. And I remember as we would walk by the sidewalk, these children, one by one, they would reach out their hand like this. And I I remember as we passed by them, they were reaching out their hands because they were asking for things like food and water, just simple necessities of life. As we continued throughout that day, we later learned that that same sidewalk where those children were begging for food and water was the same sidewalk where those children would make their bed that night. You see, many of these kids had been orphaned from things like HIV and AIDS, malaria, and malnutrition. And you see, as we walked throughout Ethiopia, we realized that we had an incredible task on our hands. So as we spent time in Ethiopia for 10 days, God began to work on our hearts. I remember one day sitting down in a a small hotel room, and we were journaling through the whole trip, and I remember writing this in our journal. We said, God, after seeing what we have seen in this place, if If we go back to the United States and we never write another record and we never go on another big tour and we never become successful in the music industry's eyes, but one of these children receives help, one of these children has food to eat and water to drink, and one of these kids has an education and one of these children comes to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that happens for just one of these children, then this whole thing that we're trying to do was worth it. I remember in particular visiting this lake. And we went to this lake and there was people that were washing their clothes and they were washing their dishes in the water. Somebody was bathing in the water. Another person had taken their truck and backed it down into the lake and they were washing their truck in the lake water. And I remember watching this, this young child, you know, and he was walking towards the lake. And as he got closer, he held this little cup in his hand and and he went up to the water. And I remember just thinking to myself, there's no way that he's going to do what I think he's going to do. And he took that cup and he he bent down and and, he dipped it into the water and he brought it up to his lips and he began to drink the same water that people were using to wash their clothes and their dishes in. And I remember immediately turning to our translator and I said, why is that boy drinking that water? Everybody knows that that water would make him sick. Our translator looked at me and he said, Jeremy, that boy walks three miles every single day for that one cup of water that he just had. And he knows it will make him sick. In fact, that same water is responsible for the death of his parents. But Jeremy, this water from the lake is the only water source in this entire community of people. And at that time, I believe that God broke my heart for this little village in Ethiopia called Zawai, a a village of over 1,000 orphan children that would wake up daily without simple provisions of food and water, not to mention medicine when they got sick or an education to try to enhance their future. And so we came back from that trip and we landed in the U.S. and we said, you know what, from now on everything changes. Because there is no way that we are comfortable continuing on like we were for success for ourselves through the music industry while there are children dying literally for the lack of food and water. 
The first thing we did when we got home is we had fired our entire team, manager, booking agent, accounting, everybody fired. The next thing that we did is we began to use our concerts and instead of trying to promote our newest release or our songs or sell a t-shirt to get to the next city, all of a sudden we tried to use our stage and our platform to be voices for these kids that would otherwise go unheard. And you see these 1,000 children in Zawai, Ethiopia, we made a commitment to those kids because we wanted to see them helped. And, and we thought, you know, in the first year, maybe what we can do is go church to church, city to city, and see 200 of these children sponsored. Well, this was the first time out of many that we had thought too less of God. Because in that first year, as we went from church to church, city to city, not 200 children from that community were sponsored. Not 400, not 600, not 800, but all 1,000 sponsored within a year by churches across the United States. This, this was revolutionary because these kids, this was 1,000 children now that had access to food every single day, that had access to safe drinking water, that had medicine when they got sick, that had an education on a daily basis. The simple things like they would have a desk to sit at when they got to the school instead of sitting on the floor. I remember in 2009, we went back into Ethiopia and we took a team this time and we wanted to see the progress that was being made because of all 1,000 children being sponsored. And I remember we went back and we visited that same lake. And I'll tell you, these people, they were still washing their dishes in the lake and they were washing their clothes and they were washing their trucks and sometimes bathing in it. But you know what they weren't doing anymore? They weren't drinking the water anymore. Because through our partnership with Food for the Hungry and the amount of kids that got sponsored, they were able to place clean water wells in this community. So now people would walk for miles and miles to get to this well and where the water would continue to pour out daily, safe drinking water. They could cook with it. They could drink it. Amazing, amazing accomplishments being made in this small town in Ethiopia. Even more importantly than the physical things was the fact that the missionaries on the ground reported only through a couple of months hundreds of children and their parents, if they were alive, coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. This was happening because when they were giving food to those that were hungry, they were also explaining why they were giving the food. Because it was out of their love for Jesus. And all of a sudden people would ask, tell me more, tell me more about this Jesus. And people were trusting Him in their hearts. So after much time in Ethiopia, we were asked to go into another community and we took off to Mozambique where we're um, headed again just next month. A place where 15,000 people would share one clean water well. I know that's a little hard to imagine, but imagine that you woke up this morning and 15,000 of your neighbors and closest friends came over to your house to use your kitchen sink. 15,000 people, one clean water well. And so there was many challenges in this place. And so for the past year, we have been speaking on behalf of these kids in Mozambique. In August of 2009, God sent us into the country of Haiti to visit an orphanage. And I remember when we were asked to go to Haiti, I remember kind of wrestling with God saying, well, we have so much going on in Africa right now. I don't know if we can take on another place. And so I said, well, we'll go for 10 days and we'll try to minister to these children and, and get to know some of them. But I can promise you this, we won't get involved with Haiti long term. Well, while we were in Haiti for 10 days, we visited this orphanage where there was anywhere from 7 to 12 children 
young, young children that for whatever reason lost their parents. But the thing was with this orphanage is they were running out of people to actually care for the kids. So you had this situation of young infant boys and girls waking up in the dirt and nobody to even pick them up to show they cared for them. So I remember coming back to Maryland and, and sitting down with my wife. And right before that trip, we were praying about having a, a child of our own. But as we went to the doctors, we found out that due to a medical condition that she has, the doctor said, you will never have a child of your own. They said, there, there is one thing, though. You could start all these tests. You would have to come down to Baltimore every single week for immunizations. We'd have to monitor it very, very closely, and there's a, a slight chance that you could become pregnant. And I remember right before Haiti, sitting down with my wife, and we decided what we would do is pray while we were apart, while I was in Haiti and she was back home working her job. And what we were praying for was just direction from God if, if we should start this medical treatment or if we should wait on His timing. So while in Haiti, God made it very clear to me that we have an opportunity to actually allow my wife to be a mother to some kids that, that don't have a mother. And God revealed to her separately that we should not start those medical treatments right now. So I landed back in the U.S. and we sat down. And right away I began to tell her what God had revealed to me. And she said the same thing. She said, I don't think we should start this medical treatment because I feel like God is doing something else. And I said, uh, her name is Kathleen. We call her Kat. And I said, Kat, there is this orphanage where there's these kids that don't have anybody to care for them. And, and I, I'm wondering if if maybe what our role is right now is for you to be a mother to the motherless in Haiti. And right away, I remember, I mean, it, it, was, it was without hesitation at all. My wife said, yeah, yeah, I'll go. And so in the next couple of weeks, she went and she quit her job. Her job was what supported us because I was in a, a Christian rock band that making $400 a month. That was my salary. So we relied on her salary to pay for things like our mortgage and food and bills. And, and God said, no, you, you know, it's time for you to go on the field. And so she quit her job and she packed up her bags. November of 2009, she moved to Haiti. We prepared to, over, through my tour schedule, to have me traveling back and forth every other month to spend time with her and the children in Haiti and then go back to the States trying to be a voice for these kids. January 10th, or January 12, 2010 hit. Everybody here, I think, remembers that day. A massive 7.0 earthquake hit the country of Haiti. At the time, uh, my band was on tour in New Zealand. We were opening up for Switchfoot at a festival called Parachute Festival. And we got a call, and it was by a gentleman in New Zealand that got word of this earthquake. And he said, Jeremy, he said, I don't really know how to tell you this. And I said, okay. And he said, I know that you haven't had the news on here lately because of your schedule, but there's been a, a tragedy in Haiti. And I said, okay. He said, there was a massive 7.0 you know, earthquake, and it has leveled the entire country. And he said, for the past couple of hours before we called you, we were trying to locate your wife, and we haven't been able to. And so for the next three days, we waited we waited for a call, a text message, an email, anything at all. We sent a search and rescue team out to where she was located in Haiti at the time, asking them to look for her. Every single day, 
The reports came up empty. They were unable to find her. Finally, on the third day, it was uh, three days that I had not slept, obviously, just constantly um, asking people around the world to pray and, and, and trying to do research online of, of where the earthquake hit based on where she was and, and the situation on the ground. And it was interesting because on this third day, I, I finally fell asleep for the first time. And I fell asleep for a couple of hours, and when I woke up, I opened my computer, and email after email just began to scroll down in my inbox. And it was people back in the United States saying, Jeremy, have you heard? Have you heard? And what they were talking about was the fact that my wife got a text message out of Haiti just saying, we were hit by the earthquake, we are okay, and I got all of the children out of the orphanage before more collapsing occurred. And, and she said, now though, I'm headed into Port-au-Prince to try to help those that have lost many. I remember hearing the fact that the UN had come to her finally after a couple days. After that first text message, we lost contact for another eight days. And, and during that time, the United Nations uh, flew a helicopter and found her. And, and they, they sat down with Kat and they said, Kat, we are getting all American citizens out of this country. This place is chaos. And they said, if you don't get on this helicopter right now, we are not responsible for what happens to you. And I remember... Kat, sitting in Port-au-Prince, looked at the United Nations and she said, I was here before the earthquake. I was here when there was children that were dying because of the water that they were drinking. Now after this terrible disaster, why in the world would I leave now? And the UN looked at her and said, you have one more chance to get on this helicopter. And she said, I'm not going. And, they, and then they flew away. So the rest of our year was just flipped upside down. The, the rest of our year would be spent sending teams and relief supplies into Haiti to do whatever we could. And then I would come back to the United States and go church to church telling people about these kids and we were getting them sponsored hundreds at a time sometimes. In November of last year, our, the program that we were part of ended and so she was able to come home. And uh, when she came back, um, God laid it on our hearts that that it was time for us to start a family. Um, we, we fully believe that if we are supposed to have our own child, that, that God will allow us to have that with or without medical treatment. But we also believe in the, the, the great mandate in the Bible of adoption. And so we began to adopt our first child from Ethiopia, Africa. Um, our dossier paperwork is in Ethiopia, and we're waiting for our referral. It was uh, amazing to hear Pastor Jason talking about his daughter. And uh, so, uh, so really exciting time. Um, we should close out the adoption by the end of this year, early next year, if you would just pray for that. And uh, we can't wait. It's going to be a little infant boy, um, zero to 18 months. And so we can't wait for that day. During this time, though, uh, during the, you know, the long waiting period of adoption, we still wanted to be faithful and serve wherever we could. And so most recently, uh, my wife accepted a, a call to be a missionary in Uganda. Um, she works with refugee women from the north that were impacted by the LRA. I don't know if you are familiar um, with the situation in northern Uganda and the Congo, but it's a war that has been going on for over 25 years, impacting um, hundreds of thousands of people. The situation is not really pleasant nor nice to talk about, but it's important to know. The LRA is, is headed by a leader named Joseph Coney, 
And Joseph Kony is trying to overthrow the government and take control of these countries. And so his tactic is this. He goes into a community and he begins burning down the huts and the, and the churches and the medical centers if they had them. And then the next step is that he tries to basically collect up any boys from that village. And so he'll do whatever he has to, including killing oftentimes the father as the, the women and any children that can try to escape. And then he recruits these young boys, throws them in a camp, uh, brainwashes them, hands them an AK-47, and their initiation into his army is to go back to the community where he was from and to kill his parents. That is their assignment. And this tragedy has been going on for years and years, and many of the women from northern Uganda, Gulu area, have come down to a place called Jinja. And so my wife, Kat, works with over 100 refugee women that are trying to rebuild their lives, and uh, their main goal is to go back home. They just want to go back home. One of the situations, though, is that landmines were, were placed around the communities where they were from, and so they're afraid to go back because of the landmines. And uh, an amazing part of this, of this mission work in Uganda right now is the fact that, that my wife is able to go into these um, huts and these, and these communities of people and daily sit down and do what's called a home visit where they sit down and they share a meal together and they pray together and they talk about God. And uh, an amazing thing is that the believers in this community, the women that, that love Jesus— they, you can actually physically see the scars on their body because of the LRA. And, and emotionally, they are scarred because they have lost um, anywhere from one to five family members because of the, because of the LRA. But, but the amazing thing is, is that these women that love Jesus, they pray daily for Joseph Coney and the LRA. They pray in Jesus' name that he would lay down his weapons and that he would turn his heart to Jesus. And I am amazed by their faithfulness and, and, and taking the, the, the scriptures to heart when it says to love your enemies. I don't know if I could love an enemy that did that to my family. So there is incredible progress being made through the gospel of Jesus in, in Uganda. And I, and I share all of these, uh, these testimonies and these stories with you because I, I fully believe that as we read scripture that God's heart is with those that are broken, that God's heart is with those that are what the Bible calls the least of these. And you might say, well, Jeremy, why, why would you do these things around the world, and why would you go to these places? And I think one thing that helps is if you would open your Bible to Isaiah 58, if you have a copy of the Scripture. Isaiah 58, and we're going to start with verse 6. Isaiah 58, verse 6. It says this, Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do awake with the yoke of oppression, 
with a pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. God very specifically tells us to give food to those that are hungry, to give water to those that are thirsty, to provide clothes to those that are naked, to open up our homes to those that are homeless. You know, the amazing thing about these things is that you don't have to go to Africa to find people that are in need. You see, we have an incredible mission field right in the towns that we live because daily there is somebody that is struggling with food for their family. Daily there is somebody that that is struggling because they make their home underneath a bridge. I was devastated this past winter to learn in my home in Maryland, my hometown of Maryland, that there is over 100 people that don't have a place to live in and they make their home in a tent in the woods or underneath a bridge on a railroad track. And over 100 people in my hometown, it, it devastates me because one, I have a spare bedroom and two, there is a church on every single corner of my hometown. And when you read these scriptures, Jesus says, if there's someone that is homeless, open up your home. And if there's somebody that's hungry, give them food to eat. I mean, these are, these are tangible ways to love Jesus. And you see, after seeing these things that we have seen in different parts of the world, Haiti and Mozambique and Ethiopia and now Uganda, I think about the verse, Proverbs 31, 8. 31, 8 and 9 that says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Friends, right now there are children all over the world that do not have a voice. And I have I felt a calling on my life from God to be their voice. And I feel like there are many other people within this church and within your town and within our country that can feel that same thing. On our recent trip to Mozambique just last year, we would, we, you know, traveled 24 hours by airplane. And then when we got there, we got in a Land Rover and traveled three or four hours into the community where we were staying in a guest house. But to actually visit the communities that we were impacting because we were trying to go to the hardest hit areas, we would then travel by Land Rover on dirt roads for sometimes two to three hours. And when the dirt roads would end, the Land Rover drivers would stop and say, you have to get out and get on a dirt bike. And so we would get on a dirt bike and travel another hour into the bush on the back of a bike. And then as we got there, the path would end and the dirt bike driver would instruct us then to begin walking and we would walk another hour or two. And all of this to get to this one hut with a family, a mother, four children, no father, he was dead. And he was dead because the family was running out of food and he decided it was more important for his children to eat than him to eat. And so he died of starvation. And we traveled all of this way to this hut to tell this family that Jesus loved them. We went to this hut to tell them that, that I know you've been through a hard time, but help is on the way and that, and that hope can be found in Jesus Christ. And so we began to share the gospel of them and, and these families would turn their hearts to Jesus. And over the next year, as children got sponsored, their physical needs would be met as well. All of these, all this travel, all, you know, going all these places because it's important to share the gospel to the nations. If you have your Bibles, if you would open in one more place, Amos chapter 5, verse 21. 
Amos chapter 5, verse 21. This is a, a tough, tough passage of Scripture uh, where, where God is, is giving us a challenge. And it's especially challenging for me as a songwriter and, and as a musician that loves to worship God through song. And God says this to his people. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. God says, away with the noise of your worship, away with your big festivals and your religious feasts. What I wanted was justice, and I wanted justice to roll down like a river. Friends, I truly believe that that part of worship is singing songs like we did this morning. I think that God is glorified when, when believers, brothers and sisters in Christ come together in unity and we're singing the same songs, that the, same, the same words of praise to God. I believe that that, that is, is sweet to his ears. But I also believe that worship and song is only one part of the way that our lives should worship God. In fact, I believe that if we come into churches like this this morning and we worship God in song, but when we walk out those doors and we don't worship God with our hands and our feet, then I believe that we have not worshiped God at all. Because the gospel is full of tangible ways to love our Savior and to worship our Savior. In all of these communities that I've traveled to, oftentimes the the issues of poverty that they're facing is very different because of uh, geographically where they live. Some experience hunger, malnutrition, lack of access to clean water. Other people uh, have issues with getting medical supplies or appropriate shelter from storms. Other people are unable to get a good educational system in their community. So, so there's this vast difference. But there is one thing that I found in common as to all the places that I've traveled over the past couple years. And that is this. A majority of children that we work with will wake up in the morning. And if they eat at all that day, this will be their meal. And I know it's hard to see because this is about a half a bag of rice. Uh, you know, it's just a handful of rice, maybe a cup of rice. And if they ate it all that day, this would be their meal. And, and even worse than this is that many children, after they get this, they won't eat again for another two or three days. I don't know about you, but I have eaten more than this this morning in the first couple of hours that I've been awake. And I would definitely eat more than this tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And friends, this, this right here to me and the children that have to eat this, this to me doesn't really look like justice rolling down like a river. I often ask myself, in 2011, can we say that we have justice rolling down like a river? Because the things that I look at is the fact that in 2011, you and I have bigger houses for our cars, our garages are bigger than most shelters for families of five or six in these communities. 
I think about the fact that still in 2011, we can send somebody up to space in, in you know, million-dollar space programs, which is, is actually fascinating, and it's pretty incredible what God has given us to do with technology. But we can send somebody to the moon, and still people die on a daily basis. Actually, thousands of people die every single day because of a stupid mosquito bite that contracts malaria. I think about justice running down like a river, and, and, and I think about the fact that, that, that we could have done something about that. I think about HIV and AIDS being preventable. It's a preventable disease. And even if you do contract it, the immunizations, the ARVs to treat it, literally a couple cents a day, but still thousands of people die from that. And still in our world, 2011, over 16,000 children will die because they didn't get this to eat. They will die of hunger and malnutrition. This to me does not look like justice rolling down like a river. What this looks like is a result of, of our consumerism, of our materialism, our quest for more and more and more. This right here even looks like a result of our patriotism to a country more so than to the kingdom and the God that is coming soon to save the world. And you see, I, I love our country. I love the fact that we have the freedom to worship together here. Every single time I come back from another country, a third world country, I'm very thankful for the gifts that we have and the blessings that we have in this country. But at the same time, I don't want those blessings to come on the heads of the poor in these other countries. You see, it's unfortunate, but a lot of us, this past year, we celebrated the death of Ben Laden more than we celebrate the life of our Savior, Jesus. And when we have issues like that, it's because our priorities are wrong and our foundation has been destroyed and, and our hope now is in economy and government and money. And when those things fail, all of a sudden we feel like our life is going to crumble. But, but God tells us to put our treasures in heaven. We should never have been trying to quest for more and more and more. God tells us to build our foundation upon the rock that will stand firm even when our economy crumbles and and our government makes wrong decisions. If our foundation is on the rock, we will stand strong. Friends, this morning I know that these are challenging things to hear, but also believe that the gospel demands that we follow Jesus. I wanted this morning to give you a, a quick illustration of what a majority of our world looks like on a daily basis. Because I know that, that hearing 16,000 children dying of hunger and malnutrition is a staggering statistic. And I know that it's hard to really wrap your mind around what that looks like. But let me tell you an illustration that might help. Has anybody here, maybe you do this at this church, do you ever have a potluck dinner after church? Do you do that here? Have you ever been to a church that you've had one? I'm in a different church every single Sunday morning, and uh, we get a fair share of potluck dinners. And uh, some are really good, and, and uh, some are, you know, well, just some are really good. And so, uh, <laughs> I want you to imagine for a second that, that uh, this morning we came in here for worship, and then after the service, there's going to be a potluck dinner. So everyone brings some food, and there's going to, you know, be uh, lots of it. And, and I know there's more people than this, but I want to try to use simple numbers to help you understand. Let's imagine that there is 200 people that are going to share this meal after church. So you come in, and we sing songs, and we have announcements. 
The pastor gets up and preaches. We read the word of God together. We pray together. The pastor goes a little too long, and so we're all starting to get hungry. (laughs) And the people go back to prepare the food. And so right after the service, there's this big banquet of food, and everyone's excited about it. And so everyone begins to line up, and the servers get the, the meal prepared. And they come to the line, and they say, okay, we are ready for the meal We're going to have to kind of do this in shifts, so let's take the first group. Let's take 30 people to start. And so the first group of 30 comes in. They sit down at the table. Someone prays over the food, and the servers announce that to this first group of 30, you can go up to the table, and you can eat as much as you'd like. And in fact, if there's, you know, if you're still hungry, you can go back up for seconds and thirds. Be sure to grab dessert. Be sure to get a beverage. If you want more, go up for seconds and thirds. So this first group of 30 begins to eat. It's time for the second group. And the servers come forward to the line and they say, okay, we're going to take another group. Let's take 50 people. So 50 people out of the line, they're, they're ushered into the room where you're having the meal. They're sat down. Someone prays over the food. The server comes forward and they said, okay, your meal today, this afternoon, your meal is going to be rice and beans. And so here is one cup of rice and one cup of beans per person. And so this group of 50, you know, I mean, they're thankful for the rice and beans that they're getting, but they're looking across the church and they're seeing this, this other group of people just eating all of this food, you know, and they're like, man, that looks really good, but I wonder why we can't have that. But they graciously take their rice and beans and they begin to eat. And so it's time for the last group of people. And the servers come forward to the line and they say, okay, we can actually take everybody. 120 people are left. Let's take everybody into the room. And they sit down. And, and they don't even get to pray because a server comes forward and they say, I, I really don't know how to say this, but your meal today is actually nothing. There is no food. And this group of 120 people, women, men, children, they're, they're looking at the server and they're, they're, they're kind of confused because they're looking around the church and they see this one group of 50 people eating rice and beans and they look at this other group of 30 people and they're eating more than enough. And, and as they're sitting there hearing this news and they're trying to figure out how to tell their children that they're not going to have food today, they watch as somebody gets up from the first group for seconds. And you see, this a reality of this potluck supper, I know would probably never happen in your church. But this scenario, this illustration is what happens every single day in our world. 15% of the world's population has more than enough food, and that is the bracket that you and I are in. 25% of the world's population will survive off of rice and beans daily. And 60% of the world will have no food at all, or if they do eat, maybe, you know, one slice of bread. 60% of the world's population going hungry. You know, but I can imagine something happening in your church. I, I haven't been here very long, and I haven't got to meet a lot of you, but I can just almost imagine something happening if this were to unfold at your next potluck dinner. I could imagine somebody from that first group of 30 people, you know, sitting down and enjoying their meal and went up for seconds and had more, and sitting and looking across the church as as to what's unfolding. And they're seeing that one group eat rice and beans, and they're seeing this large group of people that's not eating anything at all. And all of a sudden, One person, it might just be one of you from this church, but but somebody I can imagine 
would, would feel compelled to, to, to think, why should that person go hungry if I have more than enough? And so they would take their tray and slowly, you know, they're kind of weirded out by this, but they're walking across the church with their food and, and they come over and they say, look, I, I have more than enough. I can't feed everybody over here, but, but, but here's, you know, out of my abundance, I want to give you this plate of food and begins to share their food with that one family. And all of a sudden, other people from this first group are seeing what's happening and they're inspired by the, that person's faithfulness and generosity. And so another person stands up and brings their plate across the church and finds another family that had nothing to eat and begins to share their meal. And all of a sudden, over the next couple of minutes, one by one, people begin to stand up and come across the church and share their meals with the hungry. And all of a sudden, every single person in the church is eating a meal. The first group had to give up something. They couldn't eat as much as they wanted to. But all of a sudden, every single person in the church had something to eat. And it reminds me of the New Testament churches that said there shall be no needs amongst them. Friends, if, if they could have no needs amongst them then, in the early church, why do we have needs amongst us today? Even people in, in, in your congregation, but also people around the world, why can't we meet these needs? I believe the answer is because we need to ask God, for help on how we are supposed to die to ourselves and live for the gospel of Jesus to help the less fortunate. I believe that there's somebody here today that would be that one person to stand up, walk across the church, and share your food with the hungry. I have a feeling that there's somebody in this church that one day will stand up and say, I want to share the gospel of Jesus in this third world country. I know that, that it's going to risk my life. I know that I might die if I go there, but God is calling me there, and I, and I can imagine this church rallying behind that person and supporting them. You may know this, you might not, but right now in East Africa is a famine and a drought impacting Ethiopia, Somalia, Kenya, and northern Uganda. In the first three months, in this one area, 29,000 children under the age of five died of hunger and malnutrition. Do you understand what that means? That, that means 29,000 people died because they didn't have food to eat while you and I can go to the banquet table for more every single day. 29,000 people. Just last week, I was over in Uganda visiting with my wife and we traveled up to northern Uganda because we heard about the famine and the organization that we started called The Hunger Strike, we're trying to respond by sending 100,000 meals over. Next week, we're packing the first 10,000, we're sending them over. But while I was in Africa, I wanted to see the situation. I'd heard about it on the news, but I wanted to know for myself what, what is actually going on. Friends, I have seen hungry, I mean, lots of hungry children in my life in these different countries. But when I was in northern Uganda last week, we visited this one area where one in 10 children would die of malnutrition, extreme malnutrition. One out of every 10 child would die. I spent time with these kids that their arms were this size. I, I, you can't even see that. Their arms are so small and frail 
because they had not eaten in weeks. And I left, I left northern Uganda. I left, honestly, I left angry. I left angry because we knew about this famine, that it was coming. We were watching the food prices go up. We saw that there was a drought. And the thing is, with a drought, there's not a whole lot we can do. I mean, we can pray a lot for rain, and I hope that we do. There's not a ton that we can do. But famines, famines in 2011, they are man-made. Because famines is a lack of food, and we surely don't have a lack of food in this world. And so I came back. And I'm, and I'm trying, and I just ask that you pray for me because I'm trying to take this anger that I experienced over there and turn it into a response, to turn it into action. Because the time is now. Thousands of children in this one part of East Africa will continue to die if we don't respond. So this morning, in just a couple minutes, I'm gonna give you two ways to, to be a part of what is going on in some of the most forgotten parts of the world. The first way is a, is a way that I believe so strongly in, and that is by sponsoring a child from one of these communities. I brought packets that look like this. And while we take the offering, you're going to have an opportunity to grab one of these packets and sponsor them. Majority of the time, there is a, a picture of an individual child on the front, a boy or a girl, and a little story on the back. This morning, I brought what's called generic packets, which means you're going to fill this out to sponsor a child, and one will be mailed to you, the, their picture, their story, and information on how you can write letters and share photos with them. The reason that I, I requested these gen generic packs today is because I wanted to make sure that the ones that we sponsor today are in the hardest hit area of the famine. And so when you fill this out, you can select a boy or a girl. But then when I turn them into Food for the Hungry, I'm going to be sure to write that we want these children to be sponsored from Eastern Africa to try to help during this famine. And so it's, it's going to be exciting. In two or three weeks, you'll actually get the packet in the mail, and you'll see that child that you sponsor for the very first time. I highly encourage you to sponsor one of these kids. It's $32 a month, which is about $1 a day. While we take the offering, you'll simply just lift up your hand and grab one of the ushers that has these. Take it, and you fill out the card inside. Uh, the only thing that's due today is the first $32. You can use cash, check, credit card, debit card. Students, you can use your mom and dad's credit card. That's fine. <laughs> you fill out the card, and uh, this is a very, very important part of this, is that you take that card, and, you, and I have a little table over there. Uh, the little table consists of everything that I could jam in my suitcase on the way here as I flew here. And so uh, you go to the table, and you turn this little card into me. You get to keep the front here just to remind you to start praying for your child. I know you don't know their name yet, but you will in a couple weeks. And uh, you want to turn in that card with the first payment somehow. It's very, very important that I get that back today because we're going to overnight it and get help to those kids right away. Secondly, the, the offering this morning, um, Pastor Jason shared, it is not going to myself uh, for me being here speaking or leading worship. I, I, really, I really desire as much money as possible to always go to the poor that need it the most. And so this morning I've just requested that that uh, for me coming, that the church would collect an offering, and they've been gracious to do that. And this money will be used in the following ways. Number one, my wife is over as a missionary in Uganda, and um, she is, is what we call underfunded <laughs> as a missionary, meaning that um, she, she lives in a, in a little guest house with other missionaries. She travels by dirt bike daily into the communities, and um, 
there's just very real needs that, that a missionary has on the ground. They're unable to work another job because of their commitment to the people that they are working with. And so um, she has very minimal expenses while she is there. But I think it's important that as the church that we support those that are willing to go. And so um, whatever you can give today, if you do want to write a check, you can write it to the hunger strike. Um, if you want to put cash in there, that's fine. We can take um, credit card as well, and you just have to bring that back to the table, though. And uh, the other way is, like I said, we're responding with 100,000 meals um, to the famine-impacted area of Eastern Africa. We are hoping to do that in the next couple months because the need is urgent. And so when you give, the money will also be used towards that meal packing. And um, I encourage you, uh, in a world of Facebook and Twitter and websites, we're able to really keep people informed with what God is doing around the world. And... um, so when you get home today or on your mobile phone um, after, after the message, not during, um, on, on your phone, just go on Facebook and find The Hunger Strike or Twitter is at The Hunger Strike. And you can uh, follow along on updates as we're going to be posting videos about our meal packing event. You can see the meals being packed that you're going to help contribute to. Uh, we will also update videos from the field when we go over to Africa to visit the people that are actually being impacted by what you're doing. And so I love the fact that we have this technology um, to convey what you supported. Um, the, the days of, of just sending a check or a letter to a missionary and never hearing anything, I believe those days are, are gone, and it's important to uh, communicate what's happening to the church. And so we, we try very hard um, to keep you informed for those that have supported. So again, um, very, very strongly encourage you to sponsor a child for $32 a month this morning. And in addition, if you can give to the offering, that'll go to support uh, Cat Willett in Uganda and meal packing to send 100,000 meals to Eastern Africa. I believe that, that God has given us great news in Matthew 25 when he says, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. That means that when we give food to those that are hungry, we are doing that unto Jesus. When we are um, putting in that clean water well, we are doing that unto Jesus. When we give clothes to those that are naked, we are doing that to Jesus. When we open up our homes to those that are homeless, we are doing that unto Jesus. People look at that scripture as a challenging scripture. I look at it as, as good news because I'm always looking for ways to worship Jesus. And Jesus says, this is a tangible way. So I hope you embrace that this morning. I thank you for your time. I thank you for hearing these these hard stories. But God is doing great things in the midst of extreme poverty. I believe that he is there. And uh, hundreds of thousands of people are turning their lives to Christ. And because of that, we are seeing uh, extremely um, successful advancements in the gospel and also um, physical needs being met, such as food and clean water. This morning, I'd like to pray. And then I'm going to play a song. And uh, there's going to be a video on the screen while I play that song. And as, the, as I play and you watch the video screen, the ushers are going to come forward and take the offering. And again, they're going to have the packets. If you want to sponsor one of these kids, just, just put your hand up or grab them, um, throw something at them, whatever you have to. Um, be sure to, get, to grab one of those packets, fill it out. Pastor Jason will come up and uh, dismiss us then after that, and I'll meet everybody at the table. So let's start by praying. Father God, we love you so much. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for this opportunity to worship you and to speak about the forgotten people of the world and forgotten places of the world. And Jesus, this morning we ask that your will would be done, that many people would be impacted by the response of this church. Thank you for your heart for the poor and allow us to embrace your heart. In your precious name we pray, amen. Ushers can come forward at this time.
Thank you for what you're about to do for these kids.